the sermon from St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church, Hancock, Minnesota, for May 23, 2010, the Festival of Pentecost. Please stand. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The word from God through which the Holy Spirit works in our hearts today is the first lesson, Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. All the earth was one language with the same words. When they traveled eastward, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Each one said to his neighbor, Come, let's make bricks and bake them in fire. They used brick instead of stone and used tar as mortar. They said, Come, let's build a city for ourselves and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let's make a name for ourselves so that we are not scattered over the face of the earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the sons of man had built. The Lord said, Behold, they are all one people and one language, and this is just the beginning of what they'll do. Now nothing will keep them from whatever they devise to do. Come, let us go down and mix up their languages there, so that no one understands the language of his neighbor. The Lord scattered them from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel. Since there the Lord mixed up the language of the whole earth, and there, from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. This is the word of our Lord. Dear friends in Christ, fellow saints, washed clean in the blood of our risen Savior. Do you recognize the news event recorded in this audio clip here? We have a report That was the voice of Steve Nesbitt from Mission Control on January 28, 1986. I was standing in line at a lunch line at high school that day when the vice principal simply said something like, it exploded. The space shuttle Challenger had exploded shortly after takeoff. But how could that be? This was NASA. They had put a man on the moon. They had beat the Soviets in the space race. How could this happen to NASA? The human spirit dreams impossible dreams. In May 1961, President Kennedy addressed Congress saying, First, I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important for the long-range exploration of space. And then, on July 20th, 1969, Neil Armstrong declares, One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. The human spirit triumphs. And isn't that a theme we hear so often, especially this time of the year in commencement addresses? 
Reach for the stars and you will achieve your dream for the human spirit triumphs. We love to hear those kind of stories, don't we? Where the underdog wins, where the human spirit triumphs against uncountable odds, whether that's on the athletic field against a bigger, stronger opponent or whether that's reaching out to the final frontier of space, or whether that's conquering the elements here on this earth, or even the personal struggles when the human spirit triumphs there. We love those Cinderella stories. And even, even with our children, from little on up, their, their stories often breathe that same spirit of the human spirit triumphing. Think of that, that little engine that could. Yes, just keep on plugging away, chugging along. I think I can, I think I can. For the human spirit will triumph. Can we fix it? Yes, we can. The march of progress goes forward. Hope springs eternal. The human spirit triumphs. And we have the, the, that, uh, that from history as well throughout the ages. People have looked to the human spirit for triumph. You go back over 2,000 years and the ancient Greek uh, Protagoras says that man is the measure of all things. The human spirit triumphs. And you go 2,000 years or more before that and you have mankind saying, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Can we do it? Yes, we can. The human spirit will triumph. But it didn't, did it? Not at Babel. Not among the ancient Greeks who are now long gone. Not among us today either, as the explosion of a space shuttle brings home, or even more so, how many countless wars, suffering, Disease, disaster, accidents, oil spills, earthquakes, plane crashes, and the like bring that message home again and again. The human spirit fails. The underdog doesn't always win. Cinderella is often left in the cinders and ashes, not with the prince. Despondency, despair, depression... Under this pessimism, society deteriorates. People wallow in self-pity. Life crumbles. Why try hard? Why try to get ahead? I'll just fall on my face anyway. The human spirit fails. We don't want that for our kids. Is it, is it any wonder we try to teach them to keep on chugging along, doing their best, trying hard? Is it any wonder that we too love to hear those stories of the human spirit triumphing? But what is the solution here? We, we've looked at the, the two extremes you might picture along a line here. We've looked at that extreme of optimism where the human spirit triumphs again and again no matter what. We've seen the other extreme of pessimism, despairing, giving up. Is there some point maybe along the line that that we can compromise on? Is there some area in this spectrum here that that sort of reflects what reality is like so that we're not too optimistic or uh, filled with false hopes but not too pessimistic? 
There's some range, some point on this line that fits reality close enough so that it's a happy median for us. Well, dear friends, the solution isn't on that line, no matter what points you pick. No matter how close to optimism or pessimism or anywhere in between, the answer isn't on that line. Now, you could pick certain places on that line that might work for you for this life on this earth, even certain places that will make it a successful life in this world. But even that isn't the real solution. Let's look at Babel to see why. When we go back to that time of the Tower of Babel, humanity had witnessed how serious the Lord God was about sin. The entire world had been destroyed and everything that breathed along with it except for Noah and those with him on the ark. But through Noah, the promise of the Savior and that the Savior's family line was kept alive. And after that worldwide flood, God commanded Noah and those with him to be fruitful and multiply and again fill the earth. But in those centuries between Noah and Abraham, how quickly humanity forgot that lesson and went off and did their own thing. That's what we hear about here. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. Shinar would be equivalent to our modern-day Iraq. And as they journeyed from those mountainous areas of Ararat, they, they came across this plain, good farming land. And it was between these two great rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates, what a place to settle down and, and, and grow crops. There should be plenty of food. This, this was part of the ancient Fertile Crescent. They had the rivers with the vital water supply. They could have their food that would sustain them. And, and look at their ingenuity and technology as well. Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. These were no sun-baked clay huts held together by mud. No, this was solid brick built to last a permanent home. The march of progress. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city. That would offer them safety and security with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. That would bring them fame and status. And so they thought they had it all. They had sustenance, security, and status, fame and fortune. They had it all. Did they really need God anymore? Couldn't they just go do their own thing they had it made. And are we all that much different today? When our bellies are full and we are safe and secure in our own comfortable homes and we have a good name in the community with family and friends who love us, is that all that life is supposed to be about? Is that what our purpose and goal on this earth is? Sustenance? security, status. But at least we give a nod to God, don't we? At least we acknowledge Him in our prayers. We have a day of thanksgiving to Him. 
But before we think ourselves that much better than those people at Babel, they may well have given a nod toward God as well. And when it talks about that tower reaching to heaven, might that not be telling us that this was to be their worship place, their church, their spiritual center for reaching heavenward? Yes, they may well have given a nod toward God as long as God fit into what they wanted. And that's where the problem starts, isn't it? They wanted to have their God in their own image according to what they wanted. They didn't care what God had said to their forefather Noah, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Instead, they were determined not to be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Rather than listening to God, they dictated to him. And we too live in a country that that gives a nod toward God. Oh, we do have some vocal voices that are opposed to God and religion. But in a lot of ways, we still live in a religious society, especially compared to many countries in Europe. Our society gives a nod toward God on our coins. Look, we have in God we trust. Good-sounding words. But America really trusts its economic and military power more than God. We pledge that we are one nation under God, but we live as if God were under us. (coughs) And all this talk about God refers to him in such a generic way that it could really refer to any kind of God, any religion, just about. Yes, in times of crisis, we have our national prayers and memorial services, but these aren't seeking after the true God. Rather, they are just tools to reignite citizens to believe that the human spirit will triumph despite the crisis or tragedy that has happened. How much has that American religion infected us as well? Are we content with simply giving a generic nod toward God every once in a while? Thinking that if we have food and shelter and a decent life, well, that's, that's all that's really meant. How deadly that lukewarmness is. Jesus, in his glory, said... So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Revelation 3. The Lord brought that home to those people at Babel. It says here, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. Now the Lord, the God of grace, who faithfully, who freely makes his promises and faithfully keeps them. Now he, he certainly is present everywhere and he knows what is happening. He doesn't have to go down to see. But the scriptures express it that way to emphasize that the Lord is not acting in an arbitrary way here. He has duly paid attention to what is going on there at Babel and his, he acts in accordance with rightness and justice. What does he conclude? If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for, for them. 
See how, how wonderful God's work of creation is that even the fallen human spirit can accomplish great things in this world? God had created man as the crown of his creation, giving him dominion over this earth, so that working as a team, the human race could accomplish great things, even deceiving themselves into thinking they don't need God, a deception that nothing in this world could break through until the fires of hell came. That would be too late then. And so you see, it is an act of mercy, as well as justice when God goes down and and declares, come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. The Lord, the triune God, notice the word us, let us go down. The Lord, the triune God acted. What a serious judgment that was. You know, unlike the flood that only affected this world for a short period of time, that confusion of languages at Babel is still with us today, isn't it? Millennia later. Think of the distrust that would have sowed at that time as people no longer understood their neighbor. What are they hiding from us? What are they plotting in their own language there? And how that distrust has been passed on. How much distrust, how much hatred, how many wars, how much bloodshed, all because of what happened here at Babel. But is not all this earthly trouble worth it? If it draws us closer to God... What would have happened if God had not acted there at Babel and the promise of the Savior was forgotten once and for all? Then there would have been no hope for you or for me or for anyone else. And so, as severe as this judgment is, it is also an act of mercy, an act of the Lord, the God of grace and mercy. And this brings us to that solution that we had talked about earlier. We Remember when we talked about that line between optimism and pessimism? No point on that line is the right point because that entire line is centered on the human spirit, on what man can do, how optimistic he might be that the human spirit will triumph or how pessimistic when the human spirit fails. God intervenes and shakes us loose from that line. He tears us loose so that we are no longer centered on the holy on, on the on the human spirit, but we are centered on Jesus and his cross. And that, dear friends, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean simply giving a nod to God or speaking religious words on the right occasion. It's a radical change. A change that only God, the Holy Spirit, can work in us. A radical change that he works in us through his word and sacraments. And that's what we see happening on that day of Pentecost so long ago. As Peter preached that sermon that day, the Holy Spirit was powerfully at work so that the people there despaired of what the human spirit can do. Yes, Peter declared, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. With those words, the Holy Spirit showed the people how much they needed a Savior, that the human spirit could not triumph. They needed their God to save them. And as they called out how they could be saved, Peter answers, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, 
And that means you, dear friend. Yes, you. Our human spirit fails, but the Holy Spirit prevails. He centers you on Jesus and his cross. And that changes everything. Oh yes, we still chug along, trying hard, doing our best. But no longer because we think that the human spirit will triumph if we just give it a good shot. No. Now we chug along and do our best because we know that our time here on this earth, as well as all our abilities and gifts, are our blessings from our Heavenly Father who gave us His own dear Son to bring us into His family. So, what better way to thank Him than to do our best in using the gifts that He has given us, not to glorify the human spirit, but to glorify our Heavenly Father. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Colossians 3. This is not a simple nod toward God. This is a radical change, an inner conviction that transforms our attitude and minds. And that transformation shows itself in our words and in our actions. So what does that all mean? Well, when we tend toward optimism or experience success in this life, that means we don't credit it to human tenacity or ingenuity. We give the glory to God, realizing that any good thing here on this earth is a gift that comes from above, from the Father of the heavenly lights. For you see, we well know that unless the Lord builds the house, the workers labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. Psalm 127. Without the Lord, the human spirit ultimately fails. That's the lesson of Babel. But the Holy Spirit prevails. That's the lesson of Pentecost. And then when we tend towards that other extreme of, of pessimism, when the troubles and heartaches of life just, just weigh us down and we wonder what, what, whatever can we do as the despair falls on us. And again, remember that the Holy Spirit prevails. Our strength, our hope is not in ourselves or the human spirit, but in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who does not fail. Yes, we go through difficult times because we are God's dear children. For you see, He disciplines His children as sons whom He loves to keep us close to Him. And no trouble or hardship can snatch us out of his hand. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Rather, your Heavenly Father keeps you in his hands, his mighty hands of blessing. And your Savior Jesus holds you there as well in his nail-pierced hands until he takes you and me safely from this world of sorrow, this, this veil of tears to bring us to our heavenly home. That's that's the triumph. Yes, the human spirit fails, but the Holy Spirit prevails. So take heart 
and stay centered on Jesus and his cross. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.